Psalm 62, please. All right, just a couple weeks left as we wind down our series in the life of David and this particular Bible study in the Psalms. We've been looking at the songs of life, trying to match the time periods in David's life that he's going through to the Psalms that he wrote. Now, this particular Psalm really gives a lot of indication that this would be during the time that Absalom uh, had chased him. He's been betrayed. He's been spoken against by people that uh, once he trusted. Um, So let's look here at Psalm 62. The theme tonight, if you're taking notes, um, we are looking at the song of silence, not the sound of silence. I thought we were going to play it. No, we're not. But the song of silence, and I'll explain why that is in 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 just a minute. All right. Let's, um, well, let's have a word of prayer. We'll ask the Lord to help us tonight. Thank you so much for being here this evening. I'm looking forward to studying the Bible together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time that we have. We pray that you would uh, really just give us a blessed time around your word. We're thankful that uh, these are the wonderful words of life. They're words that you've given us so that we can grow in our faith, so that we can understand who you are. And Lord, we've, you've given us hope for eternity and hope for today in your word. So I just pray that we give the scriptures first place tonight. I pray that we would be just fully attentive and fully engaged and that you would be glorified uh, through our study of the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? So you see now he's talking about people that are plotting and scheming against him. How long will ye imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. It's the first section of the psalm. It's first four verses. There'll be another four verses now that then break with another Selah exclamation. So now verse five, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. Did you notice the construction similar to the beginning? Skip back to verse number one. Truly my soul, what's it say? Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. We go through those four verses. So you're looking at verse 1. Now compare it to verse 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God for my expectation. It's the idea of hope. So we had salvation. So wait on God. From him cometh my salvation. Now wait on God. My hope, my expectation comes from him. So he begins a new section with the same statement. He says, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. See that? Same construction. Verses 1 and 2, the same construction as verses um, 5 and 6. Now, verse 7, though, he goes on. He, he, I'm sorry, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. 
Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie to be laid in the balance. They are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Psalm 62. Well, if you go back to the beginning, let's take a few minutes now to just kind of work through this bit by bit. In the statement at the beginning and repeated in verse number five, my soul waiteth upon God. It's an interesting Hebrew construction. I always clarify that I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I know no Hebrew, really. I mean, when I say not a scholar, I mean less than a scholar, right? I haven't really studied Hebrew at all, so I just read what the, what the experts tell me. And it's interesting here that the construction of the, of the language, truly my soul waiteth upon God, it literally means this. The literal translation would be, only to God is my soul silence. The idea of waiting upon God here is the idea of being in a place where my soul is in silence. The opposite of, the opposite of waiting upon God would be being hasty in my speech or hasty in my actions. But here what he's saying is, because there's only one place I can be, he says, there's only, in, there's only one presence I can enter into where my soul can be at silence. And that is in the presence of God. And that, so when you hear the idea of my soul waiting upon God, it's not just in the idea of, of time per se. But waiting upon God isn't just a uh, it isn't just a construct of hours and minutes in a period of time, although that's, of course, part of it. But it's the idea of the, um, the quality of my soul, the condition of my soul, of dependence, of silence. What's the opposite of a, of a if we think of this, what would the opposite of, of, of a waiting soul, a silent soul, a quiet soul? What, is the, what have we experienced as the opposite of that? Well, obviously, we could say loud or or troubled, or upset. And in this context, there are, there are circumstances in life that have caused, it doesn't match, right? Like, if David, imagine David, if he doesn't have this relationship with the Lord, with everything that he's facing, with everything that's coming up against him, he wouldn't say, hey, my soul is waiting upon God. What would, what would the condition of his soul be? What kind of things would he be doing? What's a, what's a yeah, Okay, that's really good. A soul that's not quiet and waiting on the Lord, a silent soul, if it's not a silent soul, it's going to be hasty, making a hasty decision. And so pressures come in our lives with, our, with family situations, work situations, financial, and yeah, sometimes if we're not quiet or waiting, then we'll just make a quick decision this way. What, what else is a, would be a, the opposite of this. This is a, a wonderful, blessed experience, but that's one aspect would be, yeah, making hasty decisions. 
Yeah, a lot of anxiety. I think that's another. So there's on the one hand, we can get hasty. On the other hand, we can be filled with anxiety. And that anxiety, we're not talking about like a clinical anxiety. We're talking about the anxieties that come from pressures in life where we just decide to, 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 to where Jesus said, be careful for not, be, or the, in the, the apostles, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. But then Jesus said, take no thought for your life. That literally means don't be anxious. Don't be worked up. What else? How else would you describe it? What, where, where we often find ourselves when we're not, as David said here, waiting on God in a silent place. Well, I know for, for me, I like that, I, that idea of silence because like for me, sometimes like it's just really noisy in my head. I'm just constantly thinking through scenarios over and over and over and playing out this scenario and strategizing this and strategizing that. And, and just whether I might not make the hasty decision, but I'm just scrambling for a decision. I'm scrambling for something. And I might, it, it might be a lack of sleep or a tossing and turning or a fixation. Isn't it interesting that last week, if you remember, we looked at Psalm 3. Here we see David saying, only to God is my soul silent or my soul waits, my, truly my soul waits upon God for from him cometh my salvation. When we looked last week at Psalm 3 and 5, when Absalom is chasing him, he literally says, I laid me down and slept. So the same kind of idea here. So we look for these opportunities. But now what's interesting is he begins... He begins from a place of silence. He begins from a waiting soul. But then he has he actually does have a lot to say in this song, doesn't he? It doesn't mean that he has nothing to say. But sometimes before we speak or before we act, it's important that we speak and act from a healthy soul. From a soul that's waiting upon the Lord. There's much to be there's much to be said for that. Can I can can anybody share some practical ways that we can th- th- some practical steps that we can take to get to this place where we say, you know what, I'm I'm waiting on God. What are some practical things that we can do to 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 put ourselves in that or to to allow the Lord, huh? Prayer. Prayer. Yeah, and sometimes not just a quick. Lord, help me prayer, but sometimes a season of longer prayer, right? What else? There's some things that we can do to, to, to say, you know what? My soul is, it's, in a, it's, it's quiet. I'm waiting upon the Lord. Prayer is a, is a huge practical step we can take. What's another practical thing we can do? Yeah, get godly people around us that, that can give us scriptural advice. Study the word. What else is, a, is something we can do? Sure. Yeah. You, you memorize scripture, meditate on the scripture. I'll give you a one super practical. You might not think is all that spiritual, but how about just sleep? Like true, like understand how God created our bodies, right? Rest. Resting. Even Jesus at times in his ministry would come, would come away. He would come away and he would rest. Sometimes we are not caring for the temple of God, our bodies, and then that's affecting our spiritual life as well. You, you find 
the times that I know for me, the times that sometimes I'm the most anxious, the most the most hasty or or snappy or just not, you know, not spiritually in the right place. A lot of times I haven't taken time to sleep even to, to, to be at rest, to, to Sabbath even to take to take. So there are there. Are, why do you think God is to the Sabbath? Right. Because it's a spiritual and we're sp- spiritual and physical meet. And I think it's interesting that in the other psalm, David said, I laid me down and slept. So things like that, yeah. Um, my mom always says that everything seems worse when you're tired. Yeah, everything seems worse when you're tired. It's absolutely true. It really is. And that's a very practical thing we can do before we, you know, when we're all anxious, when we can spend time in prayer, spend time in the Word, and just rest our minds and rest our bodies. You know, David would talk about, what's it where he would say that he commute? What's, I just thought of the passage. On his bed, he would... Um, you know, anybody know what I'm talking about? David talked about either prayer or commune with my heart or... Um, do you know the reference I'm talking about or no? No, I'm thinking of the other reference where he said, I made my bed to swim all night. I made my bed to swim all night, yeah. With his, that would be the opposite. Um, oh, David said... Uh, Let's see if I can find that really quick. Yep. What you don't, yeah, not eating. Yeah, and sometimes we think that those 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 things are just physical, but God created us. We are saved in both mind, body, and spirit, right? So, and we're taught to to care for that. Well, this is actually this is really funny. It's actually, the, the verse I was thinking of is actually in the next chapter, Psalm 63. And he says, in, in verse number six, I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. In that Psalm, he actually talks about, he, he, he seeks the Lord when he rises early in the morning. He talks about the different times, but he does talk about just lying on his bed, lying on his bed, and remembering the Lord and meditating on Him at, in the nighttime. So I think that's a great example there. So these are just some practical things when we wonder, say, man, I don't have a restful soul. I wouldn't say that I have a quiet soul or a silent soul or a soul that's waiting on God. You know? So any, anything else anybody would add to that before we, before we move on? Okay. So he begins with the statement, um, just kind of framing this, that he wants to be, he wants to be, or he is trusting in the Lord. Now, he's, now he's ready to speak. Before we act, before we speak, before we try to change our circumstance, we need to begin where we say, you know what, truly I am waiting on the Lord. And so then, now he's ready to make some statements, and he begins with a great statement of faith, or a statement of confidence, and we see this over and over again. Sometimes it is, or always, it is important to simply state what you believe, to confess with your mouth that in which, or who in which, your hope is. So he says in verse 2, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not greatly be mo- not be greatly moved. Why can David, why can David, uh, have this quiet soul? Why can he have this, this patient waiting on the Lord? 
He's in silence because of the safety that God gives him. He realizes that God has this under control, that God's got the situation. Remember, we talked about that on Sunday, that sometimes we as Christians, and we live in a day and age where there's a lot of, not just in our own personal lives, but it seems like even society's forces are coming up against us. And, you know, the, you're not going to get that silence of soul from Fox News. You're not going to get silence of news from, of, of soul from CNN. You're just not going to do that. But you will from the Lord. Because when all of the news agencies and pundits tell you that the whole world is falling apart, and, it's, and in a lot of ways it is, but the Lord told us that, it was, that this was going to happen, right? It's like the news is just confirming what the scripture prophesied. It's, it's, and in that moment we say, you know what? And I, I think there are some, some Christian people that need to hear this. They say, you know what? Tucker Carlson, it's okay because he's my rock and my salvation right? It's going to be okay. You know, all the outrage, ah, it's like, I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about that, but we just need some peace in our souls. And Christian people ought to be the, the, those peaceful people because we have a rock. We are safe. His plan for us is good. We can be in silence because of safety, but not only that, not only am I, am I, safe with the rock of Christ and my salvation, but it says he's my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. I'm not going to be moved. There's stability. There's stability that comes from him. And because of the safety and because of the stability, he, he maintains this quietness, this peace in his soul. In verse number three, he, he's so he, he, in verse number two, he spoke from a, from a silent soul. He spoke a, a, a words of confidence, but now he speaks to the enemy in verse number three. All right. So first couple of verses, he's giving this generic statement out there. And now in verse number three, he directs it right to the enemy. And he says, how long are you guys going to keep this up? You know, all this attacking and fighting and coming after God's people, he says, how long are you going to keep doing this? How, how long will you imagine mischief against a man? How, how, how often are you going to keep plotting this? And he reminds them of their end. He says, you know, you, you can keep doing this. How, are you going to do this your whole life? You know, you can spend all your days, all your time coming up against God's anointed. You can spend all your time doing that because you know how the end's going to turn out, Right? You know how the end's going to turn out, right? This is a lot like, uh, like that statement, uh, um, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I, I see that here with, with David. He's just spiritually resisting. He's giving a statement, get thee behind me, Satan. He says, I, I, know, I know what the end is going to be for you. And when we feel attacked and we feel oppressed, we feel all this coming, there's this statement to the enemy that says, listen, Ye shall be slain, all of you, as a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. What's the picture there at the end? Why, why does he say a bowing wall and a tottering fence? What's the, what's the, the imagery there? What's, what's being, what is this poetry trying to teach us about the, about the enemy, about the opposition? What's that? It's weakness, Right? That wall could be 70 feet tall, but the problem with that wall is it's been compromised. 
Yeah, it's cattywampus. Exactly. It's been compromised. It's being, it's, it's, it, it, it looks big. It looks strong, but you know, you get a strong enough wind. I remember when we bought our house, there was a lot of stone, stone walls around. And there was this one that was maybe about this high. And it just did not really look that, that good to me. <laughs> it kind of had that lean or that bow to it. I'm like, you know, my little kids are playing out here and I just don't know about this. So I went over to that wall and it was probably, a, it's like a half circle and it was probably an arc, I don't know, like six to eight feet. I just went over to that wall of concrete and rock and I just put my hands on it. And I mean, I just pulled a little bit, just a little bit. And that thing just crashed, crumbled right all over the place. I'm like, you know what? Good thing I, good thing I knocked that thing over. But that's how he describes the enemy. They, I mean, it doesn't matter how big and mighty it looks. It's just like a, a fence that's just tottering and teetering in the wind. John said that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right? But we get overwhelmed sometimes. We, we, we look at what's going on and we allow it to, let's be honest, don't we sometimes? Or is it just me? You look at the news, you see what's happening and uh, you look at the state of churches sometimes across America and you just start to think, you get troubled, you get, you get anxious. Well, David's facing those situations and he says, hey, the, the enemy is just like a tottering fence. It's just like a bowing wall. There's no stability there. There's no future in it. But our God is like a rock. He is our rock. He talks about the, the plans that the enemy concocts, but their end is destruction and there's great great instability. Well, why is there instability? Well, we know, and we need to, those of us who have Christian, uh, who have unchristian, unbelieving friends, what, think about the foundation. We should always be, um, in a, in a loving way, challenging the foundation of their lives, right? I think one of the most effective ways that we can evangelize in this generation isn't to, to say, I'm right, you're wrong, whatever. I mean, it's never been an effective mode of communication anyway. But at least to, to ask those questions that would say, well, you know, you believe this ab about, the, about your life, and, but what are you basing that on? What's the foundation of that? What, what, what if you're wrong? You know, where is that? You know, to challenge those ideas because as, more and more as people are challenged, they're finding that our culture and the answers that our world, that even education is giving, are empty and shallow, but only with Christ is there this stability. So in verse number three, he speaks straight to the enemy, and now he's facing the attack in verse number four. He says, they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Selah. He doesn't expect... You know, I, I thought of this, that a saying, you know, sinners do what sinners are good at. And what, what is that? <laughs> Sin. And they do a really good job at it because they are sinners. And, and I understand that we also are sinners, but we are now saved. We are saints, right? So we have the power of Christ. But before Christ, listen, Christians ought to be, we shouldn't be surprised at what goes on in the world because the more that the world rejects Christ, the more the world is good at being the world. 
So the church needs to focus on being the church and reaching the world. But we're not gonna we're not gonna change the hearts of sinners. Only God can do that. And and David describes the, the hearts of the wicked here. We need to evangelize and witness and speak, but it's God who has to change the hearts of the hearts of men and women. And so David is prepared now to face whatever may come against him. He's prepared to face it because his soul is quiet. It's waiting. His soul is at peace. What a wonderful place to be in a a world that's spinning wildly around him. I think of of David as just, there he is, and it's almost like a, there's a, it's like the, the old cartoons, like the, I'm talking the really old cartoons where somebody's in the, they got the character in the house and there's the whole, the whole tornado swirling all around him and they're just right there, right in the middle of, the, of their house. And that's really kind of how this, this world can be for us. Is there's a storm on every hand all around us, but we are safe, safe with, with our rock, our Savior. All right, so now we come to verse... Number five. Now, this is the next section here. He says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. If you're following on the screen, I lost control of it, so you'll have to just stop following on the screen. I have this ability to control it from here, but every now and then it goes... uh, goes crazy. So we lost it. Verse number five and six, it's, it's the same construction that we looked at before where he says, my soul wait only upon God. My expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Same statement. But now we come down to verse number seven. Verse seven, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Now notice in 5 through 7 it is the same it is the same statement as verses 1 and 2, but the construction is a little bit different. The the grammar is a little bit different. And I don't know if anybody can pick up on this, but we have this the really a, a repetitive statement in verses 5 and 6 as one and two, but it's constructed just a little bit differently. Anybody pick up on that? You see the difference in... That's present. It, my soul waiteth is, is waiting. Right, so there's a difference between... You're right about the, um, um, the tense... In the first one, he describes his present condition, but the second one is it's an imperative. There's an imperative statement saying, commanding to do this. But then there's one other difference as well, and that's the the who the, the statement is directed to. So the first statement, who the first time David says that, who's he speaking to? Well, the first time, but back in verse number one, who would he be speaking to? Just the reader, right? He's just speaking, he's speaking to the reader or he's speaking to the audience. He's speaking to anyone who would be listening to him. 
describing his condition. But now when he makes the same statement in verse 5 and, five and 6, now who is he speaking to? Yeah, exactly. He's speaking to himself. This is something that I don't think we take enough time. I think we can easily just kind of move over this. But this happens very frequently in the Psalms. That David stops and he makes a statement to himself. All right, now I'm not advocating we need to do more, you know, wandering around talking to ourselves. You know, we might raise some, some eyebrows there. Um, but some of us are do. Who's a talk to themselves or... Yeah, my dad always has. I talk to myself all the time. It's, it can be kind of embarrassing sometimes when people catch you doing it and you're like making facial expressions. And it's Anyway, you'll, you'll think I need to go see somebody, so I'm going to move along. Um, but, what is, but, but I mean, I think there's, there's something to this, right? Because we see it often where David speaks to his soul, right? What's happening in these moments? What's happening here? Yeah, I think he is. I think he's. I think he's wrestling with some some times of doubt, perhaps, and he speaks to himself because he he's preaching to himself. Really, what were you gonna say, Bill? Giving himself a pep talk. Giving himself a pep talk. Yeah, yeah. He is. Well, did you ever think of this too? Like there is power in the Word of God, right? There's power in why do we preach? Why do we, like, like even preaching or teaching, like the teaching office, the pre, it's a God-ordained, like we don't just do this because we thought, hey, you know, it would be good if somebody got up and talked about it a little bit. It's like, it's the pattern of the, of the New Testament. It's the command of God, the, the preaching, the proclamation of the word. So there's power in the word, and in that moment, we need to hear the word. And if there's nobody there to preach the word to us, if there's nobody there to preach the word to us, who needs to do the preaching? Yeah, we do. We do. And I think that's exactly what he's doing here because I think there's power in that, whether it's verbally spoken or mentally, the, utter, the, the mental utterance of the word, that would say, you know what? I need to hear the word of God. I need to hear the truth of God right now. So in this moment, I'm going to preach to myself. I'm going to give the word to myself. And that's exactly what he does. He says, soul, yes, I want you to wait on the Lord. You must do this. You need to do this. And it works. Have you ever been in a, I mean, we've all been under the preaching of the word where the, the preacher gets, gets up and he says, this is, this is what the Word of God says, and this is what we need to do in our lives. And in that moment, our heart cries out, cries out, yes, that's right, I needed that. That's just what I needed. Well, we can do that in these, in these reflective moments. We can do that for ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what David does. Soul, you need to wait on the Lord. You and I, hey, soul, you need to calm down a little bit. Soul, you need to... You need to surrender that anger to the Lord. You know, and we quote the scripture, in any circumstance in our life, we can speak in this way to ourselves. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be moved. 
In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And now, verse number 8. Go ahead and look at verse number 8. I won't read it out loud. Look at it. Now who's he speaking to? Yeah. Those he has an influence on. I don't know who they were. But whoever's going to hear this. That's amazing how God does this. I mean, David... David hears from God. David, God does something in his heart. David speaks the word of God to himself. And now that, now that David is just filled with the word of God and the spirit of God and the truth of God, then he takes what he's heard, what he's preached to himself, and he proclaims it to other people around him. And he says, hey, this is him. And again, we've seen this progression in other Psalms. And what he's doing is he's testifying. He's giving a testimony. He's saying, hey, Look at what God has done in my life. You need to hear this. And we did that. We did this in, uh, we started off our, one of our life groups, the, the men's group um, last week, where we started off and we just said, hey, what, anybody give praise to God or, or testimony to God? And just that time of going around listening to people say, yes, this is what God has done. It's an important part of our faith for us to speak a test- testimony of how God has worked and what God is doing in our lives. I think just as important as, as, as preaching and singing is those moments, whether personally or in front of a group of people, where we say, hey, listen, you people, because that's what David says here in verse 6, hey, you people, you need to trust the Lord all the time. I've learned to do this. You need to trust the Lord all the time. And you know what? You should pour your heart out before him. And do you know why? Because, go ahead, read it. Why? Because God is a refuge for us. Because you know what? The way testimonies work is people would say, wow, if David can say that in his situation, because the people saw what he was going through. The people saw what he'd experienced. And they see the literal circumstances going through and then they hear the testimony of his lips. And everybody just says, Selah. Wow. Praise the Lord. So he gives this statement to others. And then he finishes with a little bit of more instruction. He gives more instruction in verses 9 and 10. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. What, 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 what's his point here? Anybody want to give a quick paraphrase of that? You're like, David did a pretty good job. I don't need a paraphrase of that. <laughs> Who would you? Give, give me a paraphrase for verse number nine. Where Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. What's the, what's the point here? <laughs> That's pretty good. They're not what they think they are. They're not what they say they are. They're not. How about they're not, not just they're not what they think they are, but they're not what what you think they are. That might even be more appropriate. People aren't what you like. People are so impressed, either impressed or and this is stated in the positive and the negative, right? Because he says, hey, don't don't. Don't be concerned with people that you think are oh so low. 
And don't be concerned with people that you think are oh so high because they're not what you think they are. That, that, that shouldn't be your focus. Surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. I think the whole point of this is just don't be so concerned with other people. Don't be so focused on other people, on their opinions, on their uh, on what they think you should do. In the book of Proverbs, the fear of man brings a snare, a trap. But we get so focused on others and their opinions and their perspective. And, and David basically says, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Verse 10, he warns people, trust not in oppression, become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Here he warns people of false. So he is basically what he's done is he's just come through how he's found all of his hope and all of his faith is in God. He's got a quiet soul and he's saying, you know what? There are some things that that could have led me astray. Right? He's so thankful that he didn't follow these things, but instead he stayed true to God. He talked about the snares, the traps. So we saw already in verse 10, being being concerned with other people in verse 9. But in verse number 10, oppression and robbery. What's the idea here? The idea here is there's a crowd that gets ahead in life by doing what? Yeah. By taking advantage of other people. And David could have easily, he had the ability to do that. He had the power. That's exactly what, what Absalom did. He used his power to mistreat others to his own advantage. And he says, don't do that. Don't use these, these wicked and sinful, sinful things to steer you away. So in verse 9, he, he says, the alternative to, to waiting on the Lord is, is getting impressed with people. In verse number 10, it could be with being um, uh, taking advantage of other people. Or the last thing in verse number 10, the other, the other big thing that could steer your heart away is what? Yeah, covetousness. Interesting here, if riches increase. So really in verse 10 is the idea of power. And then at the end of verse number 10, it would be the idea of wealth. If riches increase. We talked a little bit about this when we were doing uh, the parable. Uh, not the parable, the miracle on uh, the adult Bible class. We talked about how um, the, all those fish, right, they, that Jesus gave them all that abundant fish. And if I were there, if, 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 if they didn't have a, if they had a carnal mindset, when they saw all those fish in the miracle, they would have maybe, if they had a carnal mindset, said, we're coming back tomorrow, more fish, do this again. But they didn't, they wanted more of the Lord. And so he, he says here, if the riches may increase in your life, and if God blesses you with riches, be very careful that you don't set your heart upon them. Well, we're out, we're out of time, so let's wrap it up here. Verse 11, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this. What, what is going on there? Did God speak once or twice? Anybody? What's, what, did God speak one time or two times? What do you think? Once? All right, th- this, don't let this kind of thing hang you up. What you're looking at here is not a literal statement, it's, po- it's poetry. This is a very common thing, and you'll see this in Hebrew poetry all throughout. When they're trying to make emphasis, what would we do? 
if we wanted to emphasize a statement in English, what would we do? You might underline it, or you might put an exclamation, or in text, the new, in the text generation, all caps, all caps, that thing. Well, in Hebrew poetry, it's the beauty of repetition or using numbers. Like there are, you know, these six things does the Lord hate, but yea, seven are an abomination. It's like, well, we're very literal in Western culture. Well, is it six or is it seven? Is it one or is it? No, the point is this. There's, he's emphasizing this. If I've heard it once, I've heard it twice. God had spoken once, twice have I heard this. In other words, this is very, very important. That power belongs to God. He has all the power. And any power that people have is just dispensed out as God sees fit or allows. All the power is his. But also, he doesn't just have power, but unlike humans who possess power, also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Well, there's more we could say about that, but the, the thrust of our study tonight is this. Let's just have quiet souls that can trust and wait on God. If the world is crazy around us, that's what they do best. But as the church of God, as the people of God, we can wait upon him with quiet hearts, trusting that he will fulfill his promise to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time we've had around the word of God tonight. I pray that you'd bless our next few minutes in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you saw questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.